Welcome to the Chris Wolf Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great discussion with my good friend, Jondra McNeely, who is on State Government Relations Committee with me and who is also a past president of the South Carolina Optometric Association. We had a really good discussion about some of the new updates with alternative and visibly and patient protection laws in South Carolina specifically, and also kind of general model language uh, from State Government Relations Committee um, across the country. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I really had a good time. And as always, subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star review, and support those who support us. Today's show is sponsored by iCode Education. At iCode Education, we create and host high-quality, relevant, COPE-approved online optometric CE. We offer practice management courses from billing and coding, fee assessment, and chart auditing, to clinical courses that focus on topics ranging from the anterior segment to the posterior segment, to myopia control and neurological disease. Additionally, we partner with associations to help them provide their members and non-members with online continuing education at their own pace on their own schedule. This allows our associations to generate non-dues revenue and provide a valuable service for their members who are allowed to obtain hours from distance learning entities. Check us out at iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. One more time, E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. So, um, which was prior prior to December 2018 was alternative. And so I was just wanting to, ho- I was hoping that, you know, you could probably take us through kind of your historical perspective in South Carolina, your patient protection law, how it came to be, what it kind of does, then how you had to defend it. Because we're seeing a lot more laws in optometry that are being challenged as we've seen in Arkansas and then also having to be legally defended. And there's sort of these two sides of those laws where we can pass the law, we can regulate our own profession, but when that law allows us to, or asks us to step outside of our profession and police other people that are trying to do what we do, who don't have the knowledge, education, and training, what those pitfalls are. And I think it's kind of helpful for the listeners to think through that. So so I guess, um, Jandra, tell me about, um, about your patient protection law in South Carolina. Um, so this was about 2015, we really started to look at how we would protect our patients against some of the unproven technology. Um, because we really feel like that our patients deserve a face-to-face relationship with their provider, that they're going to get the very best care, and that they will have a full comprehensive eye exam in that, in that way. That they were not going to get if they do those online or on their phone or in any other way. Um, and so this is something we actually were able to work with ophthalmology with in South Carolina. Um, they were supportive of this. Um, and we had at the time a house member who was an OD and we had a dentist in the Senate, um, who was always very supportive of us and they, um, were, you know, both really wanted to push this bill. Um, and at the time the online retailers 
um, alternative whatnot didn't really have a strong lobby presence. They hadn't hired anybody, you know, to lobby. Um, so there was some discussion about how to work all these things out. We we did have to um, pull it from committee to get voted on, but we were able to, um, you know, get that passed. Overwhelming majority and hardly any no votes. Um, Governor Haley did veto that. Um, mm. Do you remember why, or do you remember why she she felt like it was it, it wasn't an? She's a very pro business governor. <laughs> And what about business in our own state? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the veto letter that came from Governor Haley was very similar to alternative language mm -hmm. on their website. Mm -hmm. And she was never willing to sit down and talk to us or our uh, OD house member. Did you have a relationship with Governor Haley uh, with any key contacts before? Well, we did. We had actually worked with her. She has a... Uh, her foundation, the original Six Foundation, goes into the six poorest counties in, in South Carolina and, and does a lot of work. And we had participated in those health fairs with her, doing the vision um, portion of that, and and we had done a big fundraiser. Mm -hmm. Can I say that? Yeah, sure. Um, we had a big fundraiser for her. You know, OD. Um, she had a good friend that she always called on. It's one of our ODs mm -hmm. to help out with all these things. So. Uh, we felt like we had a good relationship with her, and we, you know, she really did not even give us an opportunity to to sit down and and talk about that. And you got, never got an answer as to why that was the case. You know, you had a, you had a good relationship, but but there was you know, we have some suspicions to, yeah. as to why that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and and we think it could, you know, how in Georgia the Newt Gingrich thing came yes, out, yeah, yeah. and that's the, that strong Republican yeah. network. We really felt like it was something to do with that. And yeah, she, I think it's, it's interesting when you think about things being pro, pro people being pro-business, right? And I totally get that. You know, the, the conservative and the libertarian in me thinks, you know, look, if, if people understand the risks or those sorts of things, then we should just let people right. do what they're going to do. But, but the reality is, is that I think what it really comes down to with all of these technologies is the fact that they, they talk about they want to be considered disruptive, right? Because that's sort of this cool techie term. And, um, and when they're unproven, that's when, you, that's when you get into trouble, right? Like, sure. like um, everybody, I've talked on the podcast a couple times about um, Theranos, uh, which I mentioned during the talk yesterday. And, um, and that's, that's sort of exactly what this model is. And I think we're going to see a lot of these types of companies start to kind of fall apart a little bit because they've, they've sort of delivered on this idea of like it's tech. You know, it's kind of like the dot-com bubble, like it's tech healthcare. So it's going to be the newest, best thing. And they don't really question whether or not it's actually in fact going to help people or actually has protections for them to be sure that they're actually getting what they think they're getting. And, and as you know, and I know, when uh, when we provide a comprehensive in-person eye exam, it's way more than a than a, can you see this, and, and do you have a, a prescription that's appropriate? But unfortunately, you know, a, a large percentage of the population may not know that, and so when when they're getting messages from companies like Alternative or Visibly that are telling them, you know, in small print, this is not a substitute for a comprehensive eye exam, but in big print, it's skip the doctor, it's ignore the puff, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's really what, what laws like you all's law helps protect patients from. It, it does have in, you cannot separate a refraction from 
a comprehensive exam. Um, so it, it all, you know, it also is going to keep you from using a kiosk with, you know, as long as that kiosk doesn't have, does can't meet all these requirements. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, both of those things are really off the table unless they can meet those mm -hmm. uh, standards that were put forward. Um, so then tell me, um, so you passed it and then you actually had to override the governor. Correct. So and, you overrode her veto. How, yes. what, what was that process like? Um, well, we knew we had, we were pretty sure that she was going to do it. So mm -hmm. we were already starting to work on our, <laughs> on our um, grassroots to kind of, you know, say, hey, we're going to have to ask for this to be overridden. Um, she actually had vetoed a lot of bills. Um, one that was like the farm, farm aid bill after the hurricane. And so I think when all that came back up, um, a number of legislators stood up and and said, um, we want to protect our business people, you know, our doctors in this state. Um, Senator Cleary had um, a picture of a little boy that had found he had a brain tumor from his mm -hmm. eye exam yeah. and how that wouldn't have been caught if he had done some of these other technologies. Um, and um, it, it was pretty much, all, it was almost a unanimous override, mm -hmm. um, which we felt was a huge win for our patients. Um, you know, and for the work we had done, you know, in that regard. So um, we had um, Johnson & Johnson came in with some, um, say, information they passed out on um, the importance of um, full exams for contact lenses and that kind of thing. Um, and our lobbyists really went in full force. Dr. Long went in, you know, full force. And um, it was respected. And, and seeing as how what's kind of come about, with the FDA, I mean, it, it, I think it proves that our concerns were valid, yeah. that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That it was not valid. <laughs> yeah, I think, so then, you know, the, the, the nice part about your law is that it is, it's pretty all-encompassing. It's a really good law. But you had to talk about the legal aspects. So once you were able to override the veto of the governor and your law went into effect, was it the year later? that you had to defend that law? Yes, it was pretty quick. So the, I think this the Institute for Justice. Um, Who is? It's a group out of D.C. Um, I've kind of forgotten a little bit, but they back these where they say, well, we're now we're not allowed to, to do business in that state uh. um, or di different things. So they put the money up for that um, and, and came in there. And that's what they wanted to challenge was the constitutionality of that law yeah so because now they say they can't make a living in South Carolina right. they're, they're doctors well their doctors don't live in South Carolina right. they, right. they live in Chicago right. or wherever we right. knew at the time who was signing those prescriptions yeah um, so uh, that was a challenge um, our doctors were very supportive of um, you know getting behind that both financially and otherwise, you know, because it's expensive to have to be in charge of all the depositions and that kind of thing. But do you recall, do you recall the, the number that it, uh, maybe you don't want to talk about that, but do you recall the amount of money that it costs to defend that law? Well, I know one month the legal bill was like $40,000. And were you all prepared for that um, when you passed the law? No. I don't think we've, been, from a state government relations <laughs> committee standpoint, right? Like at that time, uh, you know, I was going all over the place talking about how wonderful these, these laws were to, to pass. 
I remember, I mean, I was sort of a, one of the guys that, that got dumped on to spearhead some of those, you know, the model language and, and SGRC developed that model language and it, and it wound up being a really, really great language and it was sort of modified. The sort of um, brainchild was Roger uh, Seeley, who is in Michigan. And, and they probably passed the first one of those laws. And, and that law is really great. And so that trickled down into um, kind of our model language. And uh, Roger's not on SGRC anymore. He's sort of ridden off into the sunset and spending more time with his grandkids. And uh, but uh, so then I had the opportunity to go around and every time, you know, from I think probably 2013 to 2015, 2016, that was sort of my, my wheelhouse, which actually wasn't even, you know, I, I cared about it. But like, as you know, my, my thing is scope, right? It's always been scope. Um, but, but it sort of was something that I had a knack for. And, and I actually really took, um, took uh, probably, I guess the word would be like opposition to or, you know, the claims that were being made on these websites of what they could do as, a, as an evidence-based medicine clinician and physician, sure. right? It's like, can you really do that? Let me see. Let right. me see how this right. works. Of and course. then when you actually start digging into it, sort of lights your fire a little bit, of course you know? It does. So I guess I, I say all that to say like, we didn't anticipate any of that from an SGRC standpoint necessarily. No, I think we had no clue. It yeah. was, it was like the bubble was <laughs> deflated, you know, the balloon was deflated mm-hmm. because we're like, what, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and it's not even over. I mean, that's not even a still in the court of appeals and we'll see kind of how all this yeah. will pan out. But, um, they, you know, we weren't actually named in the lawsuit. Right. So the it was board, the state, wasn't it? The Board of Medicine and then Labor and Licensing Board. Hmm. So that's um, the Labor and Licensing is who does our license, and mm-hmm. then the Board of Medicine does ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had done it that way so that they would be able to go after either whoever was signing those prescriptions. And, and so, it's also the case that then the state has to defend it. Correct. And yeah. so they actually... And that's the problem with this, I guess, is that they really kind of sued the wrong group. They should okay. have sued. And that's why it got thrown out? Well, correct. So she said, well, I'm not going to even rule on this because this is not, nobody's, nobody has been punished by either of these boards. Mm. So we had to actually, you know, we asked to come in to the lawsuit because mm. we felt like nobody cared as much about it as right. we did. Certainly not the Board of Medicine or Labor and Licensing Board. Um, so that's an interesting point, John, I think. You know, um, to the extent that we have people, you know, you'll see on uh, social media a lot of times that that people kind of have these bad things to say about our um, about our uh, organizations. You know, AOA, NOA, SCOPA, right? They they sort of want to they'll see something and they just sort of go on a rant about oh, I don't like this, you know, organization. But the fact that you all came in and didn't have to come in because you believed that it was the right thing to do for patients and the profession to kind of defend that law. I think that says a lot. I mean, it, it, it says a lot about the fact that you were willing to spend the dollars to do that. Just like AOA was willing to spend the dollars and the resources to basically point out that, you know, alternative slash visibly is a dubious uh, technology, right? Oh, and people yeah. just don't re- remember that. They don't think about that. This stuff, yeah. I mean, it costs a lot of money. We got a lot of personal donations you know, $1,000 here, $1,000 here, you know, here and there. And, you know, because that's what we wanted, you know, to make happen. But the, um, 
Yeah, the, the ophthalmology did not contribute any yeah, toward any of that. Yeah. And, um, you know, they didn't care. If, you know, if it was repealed, it didn't matter, really matter to them. Yeah. But, um, but it mattered to us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, this, you know, we knew the state wouldn't be able to defend that like that without our help, you know, to get that done. So, and so then, so to your knowledge, um, Opternative slash Visibly is not paying for their portion of the lawsuit. That's still getting taken care of by this organization. They could they could have part of it. I, I'm not 100% for sure, but yeah. that they the lawyers are from that group. Okay. You know, so um, so this this past week we've seen now that you know we have been they have been F, FDA has been we found out what last last maybe six or seven months ago that the FDA had issued a cease and desist correct to alternative op- slash visibly and they continued right they continued to go on until essentially this week now or this past week we've seen them essentially shut them down uh, and that was work on the back end from you know all of our our committee structure and all of the AOA uh, not just SGRC committee but you know, all the committee structures working toward that same goal within AOA and then AOA staff and board board members that are working to try to get this the FDA to see and actually take action. So this has been going on for a long time. What do you think about the, you know, the slow pace of regulation, right? Like, like think about that. So I think this all started the first thing I remember doing uh, doing the research in 2014. So we're 2019 now, five years later, doing the research on alternative and how completely atrocious their quote unquote clinical study was. And um, and it's taken five years for a regulatory body to be able to, to say you can't do this based on what you're what you're claiming. I mean, it's a slow process. It's just like trying to do anything legislatively is. It's slow. It takes time and it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. I mean, you know, I I feel like the FDA, you know, when we did the um, FTC workshop in last year in D.C. about the contact lens issue, but the FDA really came in in a big way um, for patient safety. I mean, uh, you know, they showed a lot of issues that people have with contact lenses and they had videos and they had their um, doctors that came in with real evidence-based stuff, you know, and um, so I I thought that was pretty huge, you know, that they backed that way, but then there's probably a lot of politics that plays into all of that too, and so we don't necessarily know all of that, but... um, so I don't know why it's so slow. Yeah. I wish it was fast. Yeah, no, I I think that's the point, though. I think the point is that you know, we always expect when you're dealing with things like scope, right? Like, I think the thing that we are learning in in these other realms beyond scope is that you have when you are regulating your profession, who is an ethical profession, a learned profession, um, and it's it's relatively straightforward to regulate because really the reality is is that people want to help like we want to help people we want to make them better we want to take care of them and so if if I want to do something new because my scope my my 
law allows me to do that something new, then I'm going to jump through those hoops so that I am not only so that I can do it, but so that I'm safe doing it and my patients will benefit from it. Well, that's actually a pretty easy thing to do. So you can pass the law. And when I snap my fingers and say pass the law, it doesn't mean that like it, it happened overnight, right? As, as we know, these states that pass these really great laws work for years and years and years building that base. But once the law is passed, essentially it's like, well, we got to regulate people that we already know how to regulate. Uh, and so if people get out of line, there's sort of these mechanisms that are in place that, that can kind of corral them. But when you're dealing with like these outside entities that don't care what you say or what you think and are basically going to make it make you take it to the highest level possible because that's because they want to sell more stuff, then um, you can understand why they don't they're not really caring so much about about like doing the right thing. They're caring about growing their business. Right. Alternative had or visibly had a 20 million dollars of, of investor investment money over the course of uh, between, you know, 2014 and maybe 2018 or so. And um, those guys want their money back, right? <laughs> and and uh, they're not going to get it probably, you know, unless they can get more of somebody else's money. I think that's why it takes longer is that just once you get to a regulatory body that is not policing its own, those things happen long, take a long time, uh, which is really interesting to me. Because uh, it, it really is a realm that we're sort of not used to, to dwelling in traditionally as optometrists. Um, but we're getting better and better at it. So, um, so what do you think about, about um, like, you're, you're sort of a rising star in SGRC. And I think at some point, um, you'll, you'll probably be one of the people that would take my job as chair. And I hope that's the case. <laughs> I, I think you're doing an awesome job. Thank you. Um, you know, we've got a great team. I mean, I, I, you know, I could run down the list. I mean, Matt's awesome. Uh, Matt Burchett's awesome. And, uh, you know, Tad and, and Bob and Paul, I mean, they're all just, you know, phenomenal guys, John Whitlow. Um, and so, uh, so what do you think, you know, you've been on SGRC now for a bit over a year. What, what's your sense of like state government relations committee, you ha did you have a really good sense of what it did before you were on there? If you could kind of give an overview about what, what it does, how, how can we help the states, what, what your impression of, of State Government Relations Committee is and, and how, how uh, it's been useful. I would say I probably got to thinking about it when I was probably about a vice president in our state association. So maybe about four years ago, um, that's when I kind of even really realized that it really existed, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess. And so like Deanna and that group. And, yep. um, and when, when I'm, I think that's really when Daniel Carey first came on and who I think, and, and I did not know the previous person at all, so this is not a slam, yep. but to me that felt like a game changer, you know, in the process a little bit because yep. he brought so much to the table that I don't think we had done before or, yeah. or new or just a lot of new ideas and things and his relationships and willingness to really get out and really invest himself in what we're doing too. Um, what was the rest of the question? No, just, just, you know, I think that's the thing is when I'm talking about State Government Relations Committee to a, a general group of, of members. So people won't usually probably won't know if you say SGRC, yeah. just in general, people don't know. Um, but I think they probably know a lot of things that are being done by SGRC. They may just not know specifically. We've always 
since I've been on the board, worked pretty closely with the committee and yeah. really uh, respected the doctors on that group and the staff, the AOA staff in that, in, for that group. And uh, they had a lot of resources for us. And we were a little bit of a new group of leaders, young leaders. And so we kind of needed that um, advice, you know, moving forward, whichever way we were going. So, um, I mean, all, all the committees are great, but I mean, and I'm, maybe I'm a little biased <laughs> now, but I, I think SGRC really has a really, holds a really important place. I mean, that's really where the, in our states is where optometry is moving. I mean, that's how we're going to change it. It's one state at a time that's going to move us forward. So. So if you're thinking about, if you can give an advice to anybody listening from a state, uh, what would be your recommendation for like times to approach uh, state government relations committee, kind of optimal times when you're thinking about writing a law or passing a law or working toward that? What, what would you say? I mean, I would say any of it. I mean, anytime we have something that came up on our regulations, we, we call. I mean, we're probably like the neediest group. No, no, so, no. like regulations, um, there'll be a bill that might be that we're on defense on, might be even something simple like the name tag bill we had, you mm -hmm. know, where their ophthalmologist wanted us to wear name badges that said we're optometrists. That, um, you know, writing a bill, getting ready thinking about it, you know, ever thought about it once, let us know yeah. where, you know, where you stand on that or what you're thinking about so we can start helping with the resources we have and get some docs in, get some training uh, available. Um, I mean, I think we have a lot to offer, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really well said. I, you know, one of the things that people um, want to be uh, cautious of is, is, you know, keeping those you know, if I want to pass something, I might want to keep it quiet for at least some point in time. And I can tell you, uh, as you know, SGRC does that. You know, we try to keep things um, confidential for those states that, that approach us with things until it becomes public. And so, like, even on this on this podcast, I, there's a lot of things that I, I want to talk about. And there's a lot of things that, uh, that I, keep, I keep back because I'm like, no, probably can't talk about that. But, um, but, but I think the, the important part to know is I, I think we're you know, we're here to help, right? We're here to help states early and often um, and uh, and provide guidance to as whatever degree that those states are looking for guidance. So um, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got some awards to deliver, and um, but I, this is fun. I um, I really appreciate you taking the time to do out, to, out to do this. And I am really pa passionate about patient protection, and I think it's coming to play since that since that bill passed in 2016, it's come into play several times that I really think that it's helped us to, to use that to really protect patients against some things that would not be in their best interest. Yeah. Um, as far as their healthcare, eye care. So, yeah, that's I'm, awesome. That's I'm, awesome. I'm super proud of that. So. Yeah, well done, well Thank done. You.